You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Shred a Sunday, and um, we're going to be shredding. So on your seat, you should have a shredder card. Uh, Feel free to fill it out as we go. Feel free to fill it out as we go, because at the end, we're going to have these beautiful shredders that have been imported from the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) Actually, we hired them from Staples, but... um, but there's nothing magical about the shredder, but there is a power in the moment. You may say, hang on, hang on. You got shredders from Staples and I'm filling out stuff on a piece of paper that I'm going to stick in a shredder. How on earth has that got a place of power? I'm really glad you asked. Because how does a stick turn into a serpent and then pick it up again? How does sticking that stick over Red Sea part a sea? How does a woman with an issue of blood touching the hem, how does throwing a rod into the, the ocean, pull out a fish, open its mouth and there's a drachma in the? How does, it's, it's the touch point. It's not about the fishing rod. It's not about the staff. It's not about the cloak. It's about the connection with God. And this is going to be a connection point between you and God. There are two things that we, that we employ to defeat the devil. James 4, 7 says, uh, submit to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God. So there are a lot of people trying to resist the devil, but you'll actually end up losing your voice and be wearing yourself out if you don't do the first part, submitting to God. Then there are some people, they're submitted to God, but they don't resist the devil because when you got submitted and his authority now flows through you, the devil lied to you and told you that some of the ailments and some of the things in your life aren't from the devil, they're from God. You won't reject something that you believe is from God. That's why in this church, we don't believe that God gives you cancer. If you go to heaven, you won't find cancer anywhere. You can go through every single pantry, every single cupboard. Can't find any cancer up here. God doesn't have it to give it. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there's sin, where there's devastation, where there's corruption, where there's dis-ease, where there's all of those things. But the Bible says that, that uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me, bless His holy name and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. So even in this world, you don't have to tolerate and put up with stuff. There is a power that is available to you to overcome. But the devil knows that you won't reject what you believe comes from God. That's why one of the great lies from the devil is to tell you that evil comes from the hand of God. It doesn't. It doesn't. So uh, so that's the first thing. I'm probably not going to get to... The notes that I've got, I'm going to highlight my three points, uh, but we won't get to the notes. So let me just say this, that Shredder Sunday is so important because next Sunday is Vision Sunday. Next Sunday is Vision Sunday. And again, what we don't do in uh, at this church is uh, the, the legend Mr. Jeff Ratowski just told us that most churches will tell you what the vision of the church is. Well, it hasn't really changed in 14 years. And it's really simple, win a city. The Bible says, in the last days, God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. That's a beautiful thing, your sons and daughters. So the emerging generation 
will begin to speak words, declarative words, God-sanctioned, God-anointed, God-dripping words of a future yet unseen. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. The language of the Holy Spirit is the prophetic, is visions and dreams. And so if God pours His Spirit on all flesh and then all people begin to prophesy and all people begin to have visions, all people begin to have dreams, it's so important that we capture this. So Vision Sunday is about you stepping into that zone where the Holy Ghost can come upon you and begin to show you an awesome God future. The devil knows that in the absence of you having a God future, he can fill your mind with his slides. Remember those things you used to put on and you click and it, what were they called? Viewmaster. You know, ching, ching, and then the next one, ching, ching. Well, the devil wants to get a hold and he wants to put his and, oh, shoot, oh, no, oh, that's, oh, that's disappointing. Oh, I don't, that's what the devil wants to do. So if you don't have a, and he knows if you don't have a God vision, he can put in a horrible vision. So next Sunday, Holy Ghost is going to be here. He turns up every Sunday. He loves church. He was here before we all turned up and he's going to be here after we leave. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit wants to give you a vision of your future. God put your eyes in the front of your head because you're meant to be forward-looking. You're meant to be forward-looking. A lot of people, their eyes are downcast. Oh, man, nothing ever works. Man, nothing's ever good. God wants you to lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see from whence comes your salvation. My salvation comes from the Lord. So God wants you to be looking forward. Where's that in the Bible? Glad you asked. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Good thoughts, not evil. To give you a future and a hope. You ought to have hope for the future. A future and a hope. That's God. And, uh, and so next Sunday, you're going to be writing out your vision. But... If you try to go into a new year carrying the, the, the things that were kind of weighing you down, disqualifying you, this year is going to be hard. I remember uh, watching a documentary on guys who climbed some of the highest mountains in the world. And it's interesting, they say the difference between the expert climbers and the novice climbers is what the novice climbers think they need to pack for the journey. You know, the little Bunsen burners and their... You know, and they got all this stuff that weighs them down and ultimately prevents them from reaching the summit because they got stuff they think they may need. They think they may need and they don't need it. And so too often there are things that we think that we need or think that we can't do without that we take with us that God is saying, hey, it's time to shred these things. The story we're going to read today, in fact, let me just abbreviate. The story that I'd like you to read is in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, it opens up as the story of Gideon and it says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And just for comedy's sake, just everyone say evil. Do it like this with your little finger by the side of your mouth. Say evil. Say laser. Hot magma. I think I'll call him mini-me. One million dollars. Okay, so, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites and the Midianites oppressed them for seven years. The Bible says that whenever Israel had sown, whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come in as numerous as the locusts with their camels and they'd also come in with the Amalekites and the people of the east to devour the crop, the harvest and leave no sustenance for Israel. 
I want you to right there call out foul. I want you to right there blow the whistle, throw in the yellow flag and call out violation. Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 that while the earth remains, God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a promise, sorry, with uh, Noah. He says that while the earth remains, summer and winter, day and night, cold and heat, seed time and harvest will not cease. Galatians 6, 7 says, whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. If you sow tomatoes, you're going to reap tomatoes. If you sow apples, you're going to reap apples. The Bible says, if you sow iniquity, you will reap sorrow or trouble. So God's not mocked. Your life is a product of what you're putting down. Your life is a product of what you're sowing. If you want a different harvest, you've got you to change the seed. A fool would say, man, I'm sick of all this corn. Oh, good on you. What are you sowing this year, farmer? Corn. I thought you said, yeah, I'm, I'm believing God for it. No, no, you got to, you can believe God all you like. You got to start sowing a different seed. So whatever man soweth, that he shall also reap. But here there's a violation. Because when harvest came, when all the fruit was there ready to be, reaped and brought into the barns, the Bible says the Amalekites would come in with the Midianites and the people of the East and they would devour the harvest. You were created in God's image and God's likeness. On the inside of you, believe it or not, is the Spirit of God, is the touch of God, is the DNA of God, is the image of God, the Imago Dei. We know this as broken down and as sometimes as uh, diluted and compromised because of the world that we grow up in, but still on the inside of you, you have, you have a cry for justice. There are moments in your life where you say, that's just not fair. That, that is not just, when you hear of something. So in this story, I want you to begin to discern and recognize the signature of Satan, the signature of the devil, the signature of the evil one. Because it's very important that you, you identify it and then, and then trace it to its origin. It wasn't God that was destroying their harvest. It was the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East. The children of Israel were sowing and there was a harvest that were meant to be reaping, but the devil was coming in and destroying it. It's very important because you've got to recognize that the signature of Satan is always injustice. It's, 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 always, it's always devastation. It's unfair. It's cr and so you need to recognize that because if we're meant to submit to God and resist the devil, then we better know what we're resisting. So let me just say all of that to say this, that God is good. God is good. Psalm 150, every second line says, the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Praise him on the drums. The Lord is good and his mercy. Praise him with the cymbals. The Lord is good and his mercy. Praise him with. So the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Here's the problem a lot of people, a lot of Christians have been sold a lie by the devil that God isn't good. If God is good, why are people starving in Ethiopia? If God is good, why did Aunt Bethany die of cancer? If God is good, why did, you know, buy, what a bad thing? And because the devil knows that if he can get you to not believe that God is good, you'll, st you'll lose your discernment. 
your, your discernment will become blurred between what is from the devil and what is from, from God. So people say, well, what about Job? What about Job? I'm glad you brought that up. Because if you read about Job, God, God is accused by Satan because he doesn't limit his accusations. God says, have you considered my servant Job magnificent? What a kid. Fears God, shuns evil, nobody like him. And Satan says to God, does Job fear God for nothing? You've blessed the work of his hands and you've put a hedge of protection around him that I can't penetrate. In other words, you slimy little son of a motherless goat. You tried to come in. So you tried to take him out. You tried to attack him, but only found that God had put a hedge of protection around about him. It was only when God lifted the protection that Satan was able to come in. And so when you look at the devastation of Job, it wasn't from the hand of God. It was from the hand of the devil. And the whole, the whole trial of Job was would he accuse God of evil? Would he accuse God of wrongdoing? Would he accuse, and if you read again in your Bible, which I recommend, the Bible says in Hebrews, Job who was tested in this way, we saw God's intended end for Job double for his trouble. God had already predetermined that anything you take from him, devil, anything you touch, anything you steal from him, I will make sure because I'm letting you in, because I'm lifting the protection, he is going to get back double for all of his trouble. Why? Because God is good. But you got to resolve that. you got to resolve that. Listen to me. Sadly, most people, and this is Gideon's story, most people shape their theology down to a bad experience that they had. The Bible says that Gideon is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And Gideon is just like, oh, 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 oh. Well, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. God is with us, is he? <laughs> yeah, right. Where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up? The Lord has forsaken us. Deliver it. And so he's, you know, he's about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube. You know, he's, he's not in a good way. But literally what he's doing, he has changed his theology because the pain of his disappointments is canceling out. Now, here's the honest to God truth. You can do that. A lot of theologians do that. Sadly, a lot of pastors and leaders do that. They will, they will change or alter their theology down to the legitimate pain of a negative experience. But here's what, what I want to say to you. That three times in Joshua, eight times all up if you count Deuteronomy, God said to Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous because you're going to cross this Jordan and you're going to enter into the promises. The promises I made to Abraham. I, long before you were even a little, little toddler in diapers, I made promises and they're going to be fulfilled by you. But the requirement on your end, my son, is for you to be strong 
and courageous. Be strong and be, it takes courage. Courage says, I'm not going to reduce God's word, reduce my theology down to my pain. Instead, I'm going to allow my pain to climb up into His Believe God. Line yourself up with God's Word. God said to Abraham when he was 60 that he would have a baby. God said to Abraham that one day he was going to have a son, that, that, that he would have descendants. His name meant father, exalted father. And then God changes his name when he's 99 to father of nations or father of a multitude. But it was 40 years on. How devastating and how disappointment every, every, every month when he looks at Sarai and Sarai says, not again. But now Sarai's come to the point where she's like, Abraham, give it up. Give it up. My body is no longer cycling. There's no longer a period in the month. My body's in menopause. There are no more eggs. How long are you going to keep believing God? Come on. It, it, it's just less pain. But the Bible says the Lord appeared to Abraham and said this time next year. And the Bible says that Sarah heard the Lord say this time next year. And she began to laugh like, oh, yeah, right. what a joke. And the Bible says that God said to Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? She's like, I'm laughing. Oh, I'm laughing. And, uh, but she was like, like, what a joke. And then God said to Abraham, really, is anything too difficult to God? Do you really think I needed help? Like, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth and the universe and the cosmos, did you know that he didn't have to go to a broker? He didn't have to, he, you know, it doesn't say, and in the beginning, the Lord sought funding for his vision. He, he didn't have to sit down with, you know, Wall Street bankers and say, now, now hear me out, hear me out. What I'm thinking is, is not just planet earth, but like a, like a, a whole cosmos. Like I'm talking Milky Way. I'm talking like billions and billions of stars. Oh, you got a question? Well, no, I, I don't really need billions and billions of stars. What practical function do they perform? When you're standing on the earth and you look up, it's just... Purdy. That's one person. It's like he wasn't. He, he wasn't looking for funding. He wasn't like, man. I really hope this thing. God. He is the all-sufficient one. His word. When he sends out his word, you need to understand that the thing about the word of God. The word of God has its own power pack. Jesus is walking on the water, and Simon sees him. You know, 12 disciples think he's a ghost. Jesus is not a ghost, it is me. Simon Peter goes, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've already done two amazing miracles with me in a boat. Lord, if it is you, command me to come. And so all Jesus does is sends him a word. Come. Peter receives that word and begins to walk on the sea. Because the word of God has its own power within it to fulfill it. God never sends out a word crossing his fingers going, Gabriel, I hope that one comes. 
whenever he sends out his word, his word, the Bible says his word saved. God sent his word into the world. The Bible says he healed them with a word. The word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was the word that took on death. It was the word that took on sin. It was the word that was crucified. It was the word that was put into the ground. But it was the word that came up out of the ground on the third day. It's the word that sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the word that makes intercession for you. The word has power. Don't lower the word. Don't allow the devil to compromise the word down to your pain and your experience. Let God do a transformation moment. Let God bring a healing. Let God bring a restoration. Begin to allow your experience to line up with the word of God. I just decided I got one life and one life is too short for me to try and pull the word down to my pain. Instead, I'm going to begin to believe God's word. I'm going to begin to amen God's word. I'm going to begin to believe what God has said and see God things come to pass. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you look like you need some, some, uh, some convincing. Was I here last week? Oh, the night. And I preached on the amen. You've got to get that message. You've got to listen to last Sunday night's message. God gave you a mouth. The reason He gave you a mouth is because your mouth is the gateway to the will of God. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught the disciples, his disciples to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say. He didn't say when you pray, meditate. He, said, when, he didn't say when you pray, just, you know, deeply ponder. He said, when you say, be proclamative. When you pray, say. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom Come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, there must be an agreement between earth and heaven. For, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, there's got to be an agreement between earth and heaven. The agreement between earth and heaven is your amen. God gave man dominion. God gave you authority. I've made a decision when we moved to San Diego, I'm not going to put my amen with what the experts were telling me. I'm not going to put my amen with what the locals were telling me. The locals here said, listen, if you want to build a big church, don't be spirit-filled. If you want to build a big church, don't, you know, just don't do that. If you want to build a big church, don't have women preaching and leading. This is a Calvary Chapel strong. Do not, if you want to build a big church, for goodness sake, don't talk about money. This is Southern California. People are materialistic and, you know, people aren't going to come to a church where you talk. And so they tried to get me to put my, and I just thought, yeah, you know what? That's not where I'm going to put my amen. Instead, I'm going to put my amen over here with what God says. Make a decision, make a decision that life is too short. God is too good. I, I, I've been brought to tears dozens and dozens of times in, in this Christian life. Not because of pain, loss, difficulty or whatever, but because of the goodness of God. The goodness of God. God is so good. God is so good. He is, he is so in love with you. He is smitten by you. The Bible says if we disown him, he disowns us. If we deny him, he'll deny us. But if we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. If you let go of him, he doesn't let go of you. Jonah rejects God, runs from God, 
God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He's like, uh-uh, I'm going to Tarshish. Tarshish was like the party city. <laughs> and he wanted to go to Tarshish. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He's like, man, I'm too young for responsibility. I'm too young to, you know, I, I want to just go party with everybody else. So he runs from God. The Bible says he, he paid a fare to escape from the presence of God. And yet, even though he had rejected God and run from God, the Lord was with him in the boat. The Lord was with him in a storm. And then the Bible says when they threw him overboard into the sea, uh, a, a giant fish swallowed Jonah. And, and most judgmental preachers, yeah, see, that was God's judgment. The fish swallowing Jonah wasn't God's judgment. It was God's preservation. Because Jonah would not be able to tread water long enough in those seas to fulfill the destiny that he had over his life. So the Bible says the Lord prepared a fish to swallow Jonah so he had safe passage in the belly of the fish so that even in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his rejection of God, in the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of his defiance, in the midst of his departure, in the midst of his backsliding, God was still preserving him. Some of you are here today because even when you were out there partying and when you were, you know, in Vegas, everything that happens in Vegas, when you were, God was preserving you, God was keeping you, God was holding you, God was, because He is just that good. He is good. You got you to gotta make sure that you don't allow the devil to feed you a lie that God is not good. God is good. He is in love with you. He is in love with you. Nobody is as good as God. If you have a picture of, of good and God doesn't measure up, you got the wrong, wrong God. God is better than your, your image of good. So anyway, so let me get back to the story. So in the story, Gideon, Gideon has this encounter with God, with an angel. And, uh, and then finally, finally uh, Gideon realizes that, that this is the angel of the Lord and that God is going to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, that God is a God that hears prayers and answers prayers. So Gideon says, all right, I'm going to bring out an offering, which is beautiful because they were so impoverished, there was nothing. And yet he brings out a young goat. In other words, he, he could see that, man, you know, if God is real, I want to buy into it. I, I, I want to be part of this thing. So he brings out an offering. That night, God gives him a vision. And he says, I want you to take your father. He's got two bulls. I want you to take the younger bull, that's one that's seven years younger, the one that's just finished being a calf. And I want you to take that bull and I want you to use it to tear down the image of Baal. And I want you to tear down the Asherah pole that's beside it. And I want you to chop them into pieces, make an altar and then sacrifice the bull and sacrifice the old bull on it as well. Because sometimes you've got to sacrifice your old bull as well. Because God was saying, before I take you forward, I have to deal with the things backward. Before I take you into your future, you have to let me cut off the limitations and the compromise from your past. Let me just say this, that the reason the children of Israel were in this mess is because they were worshipping Baal and they were worshipping Asherah. The generation above Gideon, his father's generation, had backed off from the Lord and were now worshipping Baal and worshipping Asherah. 
The problem is that whatever you worship, you give permission and power to operate in your life. Whatever you worship, you give permission and power to operate in your life. Remember the third temptation where Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and their splendor. And he says, all these have been given to me. I'll give you the whole world if you just bow down and worship me. But Jesus says, devil, get thee behind me. You are a stumbling block under me. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Because Jesus knew, devil, whatever I worship, I give permission and power. And I ain't giving you one iota of permission. I ain't giving you one iota of power to operate in my life. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, the, the devil knows that if you open up to compromise, you give that thing permission and power to rob, that permission and power to bring injustice, to steal your harvest. Man, I'm tithing, but I don't understand why I'm not getting ahead. Man, I'm giving, but it always seems like something's, you know, the car broke down last week and then this happened and then I got this bill and now they're talking layoffs at work. It's, it's the activity of the devil and now it's time to deal with those things. You know what? I'm entering into 2020. I ain't taking 2019, 2018, 2017. 20, I ain't taking those things across. A lot of people, when it comes to New Year, they want to turn over a new leaf. Do you know how flimsy that is? A new leaf, the wind blows and that leaf's back over again. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You can actually engage a new life. You can actually receive a brand new life. It's in the power of God. And so, so what we want to do is we want to make sure that whatever weeds, whatever compromises, whatever, whatever holds that the devil had over our life, you know what? We're going to tear those things down. We're going to destroy. We're going to pull those things up from the roots. Can somebody say amen? So three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. Number one, until it changes in you, nothing will change around you. Until it changes in you. Every change begins in you. We want the change to happen around us. If only the economy, if only my friends, if only the culture, if only the taxes. If I, we, we want everything to change on the outside. But God says, no, 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 you can't control the outside, but you can let me on the inside. Did you know that all life flows from the inside out? You were once inside your mummy's womb. All life flows from the inside out. Life began with a seed on the inside of a man's body, with an egg on the inside of a woman's womb. And, on the inside they, and from the inside, it comes out. All life flows from the inside out. 3 John verse 2 says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In other words, John is saying that your external world is a reflection or a manifestation of your internal world. In other words, flourishing soul, internal world, flourishing life, external world. Healthy soul, healthy external. Prosperous soul, prosperous external. Your external world is always a manifestation of your internal world. The devil wants you looking out at this and that and crying foul and injustice when really God says, no, no, if you just let me in, if you just let me weed, if you just let me deal, if you just have a Gideon moment and tear down the idols that have been established in your heart, maybe from generations 
limitations pass, if you let me deal with those things, because until something changes in you, nothing's going to change around about you. Do you know, uh, when, when I got saved, I, you know, I was pretty messed up and pretty jacked up. And my entire journey was God dealing with stuff on the inside of me. I was waiting for my dad to change. I was waiting for this to change and for that to change. And God says, hey, I actually just need you to change. And as I began to change stuff on the inside of me, stuff on the outside began to change. I had a poverty mentality on the inside. And when God dealt with the poverty mentality on the inside, I found that my circumstances changed on the outside. You will find if you let God deal with what is in your heart, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. Everything flows from the inside out. Let God deal with the stuff on the inside. Number two is interrupt the domino effect. The Holy Ghost will help you to interrupt the domino effect. What's the domino effect? What are you talking about? Well, have you ever seen those dominoes where they sit them all up and then they tip one you know, chung, chung, and hits all the other ones? You know, and it does all these you know, crazy things. The domino effect is that none of us arrived here unimpeded by previous generations. None of us arrived. You didn't arrive into the world without some residue of generations past. I was conceived out of wedlock. My mother and father were not married when she became pregnant with me. In the little uh, town of Tuttlingen in southern Germany, this was a great shame. Her mother wept because the neighbours would judge them or they felt that they would be judged by the neighbours as not being, you know, good parents or whatever because their daughter was pregnant. And there was all this shame and there was all this condemnation. And so I didn't ask for how I was to be conceived. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't have a say. I didn't get a vote. The next minute, I'm just, I'm just there. So I was born into this world. Then, then because, of a, because of a severe winter and an inability to work, we were behind in rent. And so my father bought one-way tickets to Australia because somebody told him that in Australia, the weather's so good you can work all year if you like. And they were, they were desperate for, for tradespeople. And so I grew up in a country where I, English wasn't my first language, German was. I moved there when I was three, started school at five. When I was six, I remember playing in the playground and playing in the street with some of our friends that I'd met. And one of the kids goes, the Germans lost the war and started calling me Nazi and Hitler. And, and I'm like, so I remember going home thinking, man, these kids are making fun of me. They're calling me names. I'm like, dad, did Germany lose the war? And my dad tried to explain it, but I'm six. So the next day we're playing again. They're like, ah, oh, here he comes, the German Nazis, German lost the war. And I'm like, yeah, but we came second. Because I just thought it was like a World Cup, you know, final or something. And I thought, well, you know, we came runners up, you know, maybe next year we'll do better. Like I just, I'm six, I got no idea. But I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask to be born in Germany. I didn't ask to be a migrant. I didn't ask to be this nationality. I didn't ask, I didn't ask any of these things. They were just, they, they, they were the result of previous generations. My, my father ran away from home. My, my father's father was uh, an alcoholic was abusive and was quite a violent man. My father, because of his bitterness towards his father, Jesus said that on earth, you and I as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, that whatever sins we forgive are forgiven. Whatever sins we retain are retained. In other words, my father refused to forgive his father for his sins. 
so he retained them within himself. You will become the very thing you refuse to forgive. My father is the exact representation and replica of his father. The very thing he hates, he has become. What a curse. What a horrible thing. God said to me in Bible school, I need you to forgive your dad. I'm like, I ain't forgiving my dad. Number one, he ain't asking. Number two, he ain't deserving. And Jesus says, when I was hanging on the cross and the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who nailed me to the cross were gambling for my clothing. And I said, Father, forgive them. They weren't asking. They weren't deserving. Yet I forgave them. I need you to do the same. And so then I said, all right, I'll do it. And God says, not too late. I need you to tell him that you love him. I'm going to double. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. I said, you know, I've never heard those words from my father. And now you want me to say them to my father. Well, I didn't realize God was calling me to be the curse-breaking generation. See, it was so easy. It was, it's so easy for you and I to cry foul. It's so easy for you and I to say, well, you don't understand. You don't understand this happened and that happened and it's not fair and you're 100% right. It wasn't fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that you got to deal with a disposition to addiction or a disposition to abuse or disposition to a bad temper or disposition. I was telling the, the 10 a.m. service that, uh, you know, we had Mike Connell here a few months ago. Now, I've been a Christian, Colin, 34 years. Thir you think by 34, years I would have got it right by now why are you laughing Ashley you're already laughing at me you oh okay thank you so 34 years as a Christian 28 years as a pastor you would think if anybody you know if anybody could preach to them you know like I've I've arrived now let me help you plebs you know if anybody that's what you think but I'm, you know, so Mike Connell's there. And so Leanne and I, we just, had, we just hit this, this wall, you know, for 28, 27 years of our marriage, we keep hitting this wall. And the wall is that, that um, my mother was always worried about what the neighbours would think. And, you know, if there was, you know, a disagreement, shh, you know, lower your voices, you know. And it was always, you know, uh, fake it to the neighbours, like with a, you know, prim and perfect, you know, while there's, you know, jacked up. So when I got saved, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to live as a hypocrite no, no more. But what I didn't realize was I'd gone, gone overboard. And so Leanne and I would have a disagreement and sometimes in public. And so I, I am backing down. And so, I, and so then, you know, I, I kind of feel like I crossed a line, but I, I was scratching to try and find well, what line? What line if I, I, I just feel a disturbance in the force. I just... <laughs> But I, I didn't know what it was. I just, and so then we get home and it's, you know, it's World War III and tears and you're the biggest jerk husband. And, and for the life of me, I'm like, oh, babe, I don't want to hurt you. I'll never do it again. But I didn't know what the hell I did to not, not do it again. And then, you know, you're doing it again. I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't even realise. And so, you know, this was 27 years. So Leanne's like, okay, this year when Mike Connor comes, I want you to, you know, talk to him about something. Okay. So, so Mike Connor says, oh, man, I, I don't understand, but let's pray. So he prays and, and, he, and the prayer was, let the Holy Spirit show us. And I said, oh, it's funny. I just, you know, saw a picture, a vision of my conception, which is the weirdest thing. And he said, uh, he goes, yeah, that's interesting. He said, what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a spirit of dishonor. He said, you know, there was a level of dishonor of your mother and a level of dishonor of your mother's parents when your father got them pregnant. 
got your mother pregnant with you. And that's just been a thing then. So, yeah, and then I look at my father. He, he, he can't help himself but dishonor. He doesn't deal with an issue. He attacks the person to validate you know, his disagreement with the issue, dishonor. And so I'm in the, 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 the back room here. And uh, what I didn't realize was they'd scheduled the refrigeration mechanic to come in and fix the fridge as we're praying. And uh, so Mike starts praying, breaking a spirit of dishonor. The next time my fists are clenched, my teeth go like this, and I feel this anger. And then I just start coughing violently. And he's like, come out! You know, and, and then the fridge guy opens the door and realizes, I'll come back later. And... And I'm the senior pastor. If you would think that anybody wouldn't have any flipping areas where the devil was, you know, stealing and compromised, it should be the senior pastor. Now listen, the reason Jesus cast out demons is because they don't voluntarily pack their bags and leave. They have no jurisdiction to stay, but you better believe, you better believe that they, they stay where they have no authority, no jurisdiction, they are squatters. They had to be cast out. And so I promised before God that from that moment on, it was like a cloud lifted. Everything shifted over. And now I see, I can see the line. It's like, oh my God. And just even some of the, the frustration and some of, some of the anger that I just thought was maybe holy anger or righteous anger. I was always trying to you know, justify it. It's righteous anger that I'm angry with that man that cut me off on the freeway. <laughs> but also, it's like, I was just at peace. Like, I wasn't living with this torment. It was like, man, I could have got rid of that thing 27 freaking years ago. Why didn't anybody? But it was just my time. Proverbs 27, 7 says, The spirit of the man is the, is the lamp of the Lord, searching the inner rooms of his heart. Would you let the Holy Ghost... Take your spirit and be his lamp. And will you give him permission to go down into your basement? Oh, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, where are you going? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't know how to tell you this. Um, the basement. <laughs> I was going to get around to cleaning up the basement. What are you just, just welcome him in our lounge room. Just make yourself comfortable. What about I'll make you a sandwich? Jesus, go sit, and I'm going to make you a little bacon. No, sorry, you're Jewish. Uh, a little uh, egg and lettuce sandwich. <laughs> no, no, he wants to go down into the basement. Uh, I'm like, oh, 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 oh don't go in there. <laughs> don't open this cupboard. And next minute, he's up the stairs. And you're like, hey, hey, hey where, where are you going now? The attic. <laughs> you don't want to go into my attic? You don't, know, you don't want to know the thoughts that I've been thinking. Oh, God, I'm a big boo-boo. <laughs> you got nothing to be afraid of. Don't fear. Let Jesus take your spirit as His lamp. Let Him go down into the basement. Let Him into the bedroom. Let Him into the kitchen. Let Him into the lounge room. Let Him into the living room. Let Him upstairs into the attic and let Him say, this needs to go. I know you've been attached and I know this thing's brought you comfort, but come on. It brings you momentary comfort and torment afterwards. Guilt and shame afterwards. Come on, it's time. It's time to weed this thing out. The Bible says that at night while everyone slept, 
Gideon was too afraid to do it by day. So by night, he took the young bull and he tore down the altar, tore down the wooden image that was beside it, hacked it to pieces, then created a bonfire and threw the young bull. It always perplexed me. Why the young bull? Why not the old bull? It's old. It's going to die anyway. Just throw it on and save the young bull. It's still got its, it's still got its best days in front of it. And God said to me, because if you give God your best days, He'll bless the rest of your days. The devil, the devil wants you to party hard now and then on your deathbed, repent. But I'm telling you, if you give God your best days now, the, the rest of your days are blessed. I have, the only regret that I have is that I didn't get, give my life to Christ before I was 18. I got saved when I was 18 and haven't looked back. But I'm telling you, give God your best. Give God your best days. Don't let, the, don't let the devil say, hey, hey, God is not a good God. God is not, he's not into, we're having a New Year's Eve party. We constantly get, you know, attacked because we're the party church on purpose. Because life is meant to be celebrated. Instead of waking up on, on uh, New Year's Day with a hangover as Jeff Rutowski said, you're going to wake up with a Word of God lodged in your spirit, with a fresh oil of anointing on your life, with clear vision. You're going to, I'm telling you, we are going to have music and dance and love. we're going to praise our way into the new year. You're going to love the New Year's Eve party. But let me tell you, don't take the old into the new. Let Jesus today write them on, write them on the sheet. We've got to, we've got to, uh, can, let's get these, um, these shredder things up there. And did I give you point number three? Point number three is tear down the old to enter the new. Tear down the old to enter the new. You know, there's a saying about putting uh, lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. You can put lipstick on it. You can put a wig. It's still a pig. If, if you don't like your harvest, you've got to change the seed. See, it doesn't matter how beautiful you make a pig, it's still going to reproduce piglets. A pig can only reproduce more pigs. Doesn't matter how you... Every other religion just tries to get to put lipstick on a pig. It just says, try harder, do this, stand on one leg, you know, do a, a trek to... Only Christianity gives you the power to change the seed. Change the seed. I'm going to change the words of my mouth. I'm going to change the thoughts of my mind. I'm going to change the meditations of my heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. The Holy Ghost comes and He works on the inside of you. He'll catch your words and He'll help you to change your words. Instead of speaking words of defeat, instead of speaking words of limitation, instead of speaking words of hopelessness, instead of speaking words that echo a victim mindset, you begin to declare. The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. You begin to prophesy. That's what the Holy Ghost does. Prophecy is, is, is heaven language. It's how you get heaven into your life. Life is too short to just kind of live out your life on earth with earthly results. You can have heavenly results right now, but you've got to speak a heavenly language. Because if you want a heavenly harvest, you've got to sow heavenly seed. If you want a heavenly harvest, you've got to sow heavenly seed. This is heavenly seed. It comforts me when I read it, but it sets forth a harvest in motion when I speak it. 
whenever you take this word, load it into your mouth and shoot it out. People will call you crazy. Are you stupid? You're 99 and your wife's 89. And God just told you to change your name to father of many, that this time next year you're gonna, you're a crazy fool. But you know what? He shot the word out everywhere he went. Father of a multitude, father of a multitude. Why? Because he changed the seed so he could reap a different harvest. Come on, it's your time, it's your season. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lift your, lift your, uh, lift your shredder card. Who's ready to shred some stuff? I know this is going to sound, uh, you know, genetic and, uh, or generic, excuse me, generic and, uh, but honestly, uh, Leanne and I love you. We love our church. We get so many speaking invitations to be away from you. And uh, the last two months, we kind of canceled pretty much all the trips. And we were just reflecting the other day that our favourite, our favourite place is here. Our favourite people are you. We love San Diego. When God told us to come to San Diego, we'd always felt that one day we would plant a church and we would give our lives to that church. San Diego is not a stepping stone for us. It is the final destination for us. This is, this is where God has placed us. This is the, the garden that God has placed us in. And... We didn't want to just build a religious observance Sunday. But I, we rejoice when you live your best life. We rejoice when the cancer report came in from the doctor and then the book of miracles canceled that thing out and cancer got terminated. Terminal got terminated and you're healed. We, we rejoice when I found my spouse, I found my husband, I found my wife. Man, we just bought a home. We just started a business, Pastor. Man, we had the biggest month in sales we've ever. We rejoice in those things because we love seeing God working through your life. This, this Shredder Sunday and next, next week, Vision Sunday, is all about God's power operating in your life, through your life and on your life. So come on, lift it up. Father, we thank You right now for Shredder Sunday. And as we come down to shred these things, I declare every chain, every shackle, every hold of the devil broken off our lives. Devil, we are not going to take You as a stowaway into 2020. We are not going to allow You to travel hidden on board, smuggled on board, hiding in one of the lifeboats. You are not coming into 2020. We're going to have a devil-free 2020. 2020 is going to be a year of unprecedented breakthrough, unprecedented prosperity, unprecedented peace, unprecedented blessing, unprecedented favour. It's going to be the greatest year of my life thus far in Jesus' name. Father, I thank You for all the leaders here. Lord God, breakthrough be with them in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 